One, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Sports Queue at CG with Texas Mike as we get things underway. We got some good, solid Wi-Fi going on right now. I can see you clear as a bell. They're going to be hearing you clear as a bell, too. Texas Mike, what's going on? Lots going on in the world of baseball. We're going to talk about that, but good to see you, brother. Hey, glad that you stepped into 2023 with the internet connection. It's, it's a nice thing to hear. <laughs> Traveling abroad a little bit, moving around as I always like to do. But we got to remind you guys to make sure you hit that subscribe, check us out, follow us. And we've got some good stuff coming your way. And it's going to be happening in our third segment today, actually. I'm going to toss some things at Texas Mike and we're going to see how he answers those questions. And it's going to be it's going to be wonderful, wonderful content. I promise you that. But let's kick things off and start things off with... I think the World Series, let's start with the, I mean, it was, it happened a little while ago. I don't think I watched, I might've watched one at bat. And I think a lot of the rest of the country did the same thing. But man, we talked both of our teams right out of there. Uh, Astros and Phillies did not take place. Uh, tears everywhere in the Major League Baseball world. And we got Rangers and Diamondbacks. Uh, but Texas, are we happy for them? I don't even know where to begin this segment. Um, you talk about what you actually watched of the World Series. I think I watched two total innings, honestly, the entire time. And I think most of those innings centered around D-backs at bats, kind of praying and getting out the Joe Boo voodoo doll and hoping some kind of magic would happen and they would start hitting the ball out of the park like the Rangers were. But clearly that did not happen based on the result. Yeah, I think that you grew, you got a different respect for the Rangers because they were a quality baseball team that were built in a... I mean, how did you feel? When they got Marcus Simeon and when they got Corey Seager, I think the Seager signing made sense. But I think when you went with some of these players that you weren't sure, were they overpaying them? Were they, were they kind of overstepping? Um, but the plan worked. Yeah, I mean, you got to give some credit to a few factors there. So Chris Young, who I believe is from Highland Park in the Dallas area, smart guy, went to Princeton, had a long major league career, great pitcher for the Padres. He took a unique approach of basically taking two short stops, paying him a ton of money, and giving it that anchor point. And, and the Rangers at that juncture of their franchise history, they really didn't have anything to, to build around. So he at least gave them something and somebody established. Two guys very established, both coming from the West Coast, Seeger coming from the Dodgers, Simeon from the A's, and built it out from there. I, I, I They made some good signings, but the pitching and bullpen to me is still not that good, but that lineup is excellent. And, and they hit some home runs with the Evan Carters of the world coming up at the end and then giving them that juice to get across the line and ultimately win their first title hats off to them. Yeah. And Garcia kind of gave him a swag too. I mean, I know he got hurt towards the tail end there, but he just, he gave them a little bit of that edge that they needed, I think, uh, especially against the Astros and the kind of throw it back and be able to kind of become the alpha in that situation. Um, did the Astros lose that series or did the Rangers win that series to get into the world series? Obviously they ended up winning the world series, but what, as a Houston fan and being there, what did you think? When you lose every single game at home and have a losing record at home and no World Series winner has ever had a losing record at home, it's on you. This is the second time it's happened to them. I was at game six in the Rangers series. I was so pumped up 
so hyped about that game. I truly believe that they were going to clinch it that night. There was just some energy and electricity in the building. And every single time it seemed like it was going to crank up, guess who was cranking the ball? Somebody on the Rangers. And the, their bats were unstoppable. It's the Astros lost it. They have nobody to blame but themselves. This is going to be one of those when it's all said and done as far as the dynasty of the Astros, when that's going to be evaluated in its totality and placed in its position in history. And we start that dynasty in 2015. It's probably going to end after the 2024 season. They might have a scintilla chance to extend it to 2025. I highly doubt it. But they're going to look at the 2019 series, and they're going to look at this series right then and there with you blow the two at home, you lose all the home games, and be like, what the bleep happened to us? Yeah, and, and it almost we, – we talked about the Angels plenty on this podcast, and we talked about Shohei Otani and Mike Trout and the and squad. I, you almost have to say, look, they play in the toughest division in baseball. Uh, the Rangers and the Astros have been the top dogs now. And the Angels – Don't forget squad, about the Seattle Mariners. We're Ooh. very good. <laughs> yeah, so you play in a, a jam-packed division where – there's opportunities to lose a lot of games in there, especially if you don't have the arms and you don't have some of the talent to surround those guys, which they didn't. Um, and we're not going to make it. We're, we, we're going to get into free agency talk and what's going to happen with Otani because that's going to be – I'm not going to be shocked if he gets offered $900 million. I really am not. I, I think that you could see some crazy, crazy number come out of this. I don't know how high it's going to go, but I think it's going to be high. Ron Washington is going to be moving over to Los Angeles. I think that that's a – you don't like it? It's a little unusual. I mean, I don't know what they think. Maybe there's going to be some Dusty Baker magic that, you know, Ron Washington's going to make amends for the 2010 and 2011 Texas Rangers, except he's going to do it in another team in the division. I, I don't really know the angle there. I'm not a big Ron Washington guy. Well, and Ron, and Ron Washington sometimes leaves his jobs a little unceremoniously. It's not exactly like it's a nice parting of ways when he when he goes big, he goes big. So we'll see what happens there with the Angels. We'll see what happens with the Rangers. Do you see the Rangers being susceptible to a complete drop-off the next season? Not only because they play in a tough division, but because maybe they were overachieving in some areas. They were pretty solid throughout the year, but Seager has the tendency to be a bit streaky. Are all the chips going to fall into place once again? And now can they go on a run for the next five or six years? No, I don't think that team at all is built for a sustained run. And this is not Homer, Mike. This is Texas Mike telling the truth on this one. Their pitching is not that great. They don't have the anchor points. Their bullpen's not that good. I mean, you already seen Garcia's body breaking down. There's allegations of PEDs, of course, with the way his physique looks. And also now he's having muscular injuries, which is another symptom of these things. There's a whole Manfred, the ball's all juiced up come the playoff time and, and, to have a sustained power streak like the Rangers did through the ALCS, through the World Series, is not something you're going to be able to count on in multiple postseasons. Do I think that they're going to at least be a wild card team? Absolutely. They'll probably win. They, they might win the division. I don't know. But this is not a team where you're looking at it like, for instance, when the 2017 Astros won, like, wow, this is a young nucleus and they keep it together. The sky's the limit. There's some young components that I like, but the pitching is older and consistent. And how about how about the last thing? We'll we'll leave this topic and we'll jump into some college football. How about Aaron Nola rumors going to Texas? Texas? How about that? Like, how about them being the top? He's kind of the top 
one on their radar. I mean, that would be a great get for them. I mean, Aaron Nola is an LSU guy, so getting a little closer to home base in Baton Rouge would not be a bad move for him, being a Baton Rouge native. That team has the type of offense and run support where he's not going to be lacking. And when Aaron Nola's on, he is a top five pitcher in the league. All right, we'll see what happens there with the Phillies. We'll see what happens. I, I, I got to think a lot of people think the Phillies are going to go right back, but the Dodgers are going to be back. The National League is going to be kind of an interesting one. Uh, to have a real, you know, a, a money ball team, basically, that followed the numbers, and that's strictly what they did, you're going to see more teams do this, especially those small market teams, and they're going to try and make it work uh, to get in a situation like this. But congratulations to the Rangers. I saw some of the videos out there. They kept showing the same, like, three fans, so I don't know how – boisterous and big the fan base is over there there's some diehard fans over there in dallas right in arlington besides the cowboys besides the cowboys what plagues the rangers and, and the same argument can use be used against me and the houston astros in the houston sports landscape in general when they're winning there's a lot of fans when it's not going so great. It's a little bit fair weather. It's not going to be like you see up in the Northeast and your market, Philadelphia or New York, or when you even get further in the Midwest where the diehards, they stick by no matter what, even if you have 90 losses, when the Perfect. Rangers lose 90 games, there are not going to be many people in that park. Perfect segue. Actually, we were going to touch on college football, but the fact that you went right to Houston and the fan base, CJ Stroud. So he has been a, um, I'll go let you describe it. I mean, you're there. I know what the media world and what everybody's starting to take a look at. Uh, explain what you're seeing. CJ Stroud has been nothing short of a revelation. This guy looks like the best situation, the best draft pick, a complete home run right now. I mean, let's look at this even objectively via Vegas using the numbers and Moneyball. He's minus 500 for rookie of the year. We're not even in week 10 yet. And they've already had a bye week already. Uh, that's crazy. I mean, that basically is saying he has wrapped it up. Unless he gets injured, God forbid, he's going to take that trophy. I mean, right now he's sitting, he's top 12 in the league in passer rating. He's 14 touchdown passes, one pick. I mean, this is a guy in the first eight games of his career. Yes, does he sometimes make turnover-worthy throws, and maybe he's gotten a little bit lucky. Yes, but also when you look at a, a stat that I like that pro football focus promulgates out to the masses is big-time throws. Guess who had the most big-time throws last week? C.J. Stroud. And that's a stat that says this guy's coming through in a clutch and he's making winning plays. And, yes, maybe some of these turnovers will catch up to him. His offensive line is not that great. And I like what Bobby Slowick and D'Amico Ryans have done. They said, look, I know we want to run the ball and do all these things. We're going to get our five best pass protectors and just give him a chance to do his thing. And that's our best chance to be competitive. And it's working. And CJ, all the credit to him, all the naysayers, all the negative criticism, he's proving it wrong because he's throwing the ball with accuracy. He's throwing the ball with poise. He's making good decisions. And he appears to be a leader with charisma which he was dogged at at Ohio State as somebody that had a, quote, you know, flat personality or not a true leader. I mean, everything could not be completely wrong coming out of the draft. 
And side note, and we're going to jump on college football, but if there is some truth to what's happening at Michigan and some of the things that are going on with uh, being able to know what the team is going to be running at you, it's pretty impressive to be able to overcome that and still be making plays. So maybe some of those those throws and some of those, uh, you know, when the defense knows what's coming, uh, I think that that makes you stand out a little bit more. D'Amico Ryans is, I mean, running away with the coach of the year title has to be. I mean, the the fact that he's got Houston playing competitive, the fact that he's taken a franchise in one season and really turned them around. um, They're in every game. You see more and more highlights from them. You're starting to see the momentum from CJ Stroud and what he's doing. I think he really took what he was learning in San Francisco and, and just brought it with him and said, it, I'm not looking at the names on the back of the Jersey. I, I know players can play and I know that guys can be in the right roles they need to be in, into. And I think that helps his quarterback as well. San Francisco, every time somebody got hurt, they put another guy in and it just seemed to work. Brock Purdy kind of in the same situation. He's kind of hitting a little bit of a, a, a lull, a little bit of a wall. We'll see if that continues. Um, but D'Amico Ryans has been, I mean, Houston has to be overjoyed and all your one and done situations, if you end up with with D'Amico Ryan's at the end of the day, there you go. And, and don't forget, Will Anderson Jr., though his sack totals are depressed, he only has two. He's top five in the league in pressures. He, he's, I'm not saying he's young Derek Thomas that he was touted to be and that we were saying on our post-draft podcast, if he becomes that, it's worth the draft capital. But the bottom line is, once he learns some more moves and becomes more advanced, and his pass rush approach and is relying less on freakish physical ability, he's going to be an unstoppable beast. They, they might have hit a home run with their first three picks. C.J. Stroud, you're going you're gonna to have Will Anderson Jr. and then Tank Dell, who was a third-round pick, who is looking like a potential number one receiver. Yes, he led the NCAAs in catches at U of H. He put up crazy stats. But he's 5'10", 175 pounds. He's smaller than I am. It's it's looking good. I'm shocked because doing very well in a very doing very well in a very winnable division because there's some there's some issues in that division there with with where some of those teams are going. So we'll see what ends up happening with the Texans. It's good for the fan base. It's good to see Houston uh, making a bit of a rise. Uh, One more thing in the NFL, but the medical miracle that is Aaron Rodgers. We talked about this a little. Is he going to come back this season? I mean, it just seems like it's trending that way. I They keep showing him throw the ball. I don't know what that has to do with an Achilles. Aaron Rodgers is very well known for just slinging it with his arm anyway, so he doesn't need his feet to be able to play soft toss back and forth and throw the ball around. Um, he is walking around a lot on that thing. I mean, he is everywhere. He was at the Breeders' Cup in horse racing. He was traveling over here. Uh, he's not resting. You know, the, it's not the traditional kind of relaxing and, and hanging out, uh, whatever home, whatever home care, whatever he's doing, uh, I guess it's healing him. Uh, the Jets have a great defense. They're struggling at quarterback. There is 0% chance that if Aaron Rodgers is healthy, he's not going to be in the game. Uh, are we going to see that though? Is that what's going to happen? I think there's a scenario where the Jets as tightly packed as everybody is in the AFC. There's a lot of mediocrity, especially in the East and in the South, as you point, pointed out. You know, some of these teams are beneficiaries of, you know, what I call the, the fourth place schedule, crap schedule, whatever you want to call it. So could I see a situation maybe where the Jets limp into the playoffs, they win a wild card game, 
and then he's showing up in the second, third week in January and then trotting out there and winning it for him? Yes. But I don't think he plays unless they make it to the playoffs. Why would you risk it if his recovery is that good? This is not a Super Bowl team. And does he have enough time to raise everything? Yes. If they get some lucky scenario, pull an upset, you get him, everybody's energized. But, I mean, look, remember, Garrett Wilson, even like from a fantasy perspective, this guy was supposed to be gangbuster nuts all over the place. Aaron Rodgers was going to turn him into Devontae Adams part two. Jordy Nelson, you name it, whatever. The, 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 the litany of receivers that Aaron Rodgers has made, and he's he's struggled. And their team is struggling. So I I don't know. I, I think the Jets are going to fall off. He saw it a little bit on the Chargers on Monday night. It just – Zach Wilson's just not very good. And, and, an, and an off injury Aaron Rodgers is not going to beat that current Miami team in some sort of, you know, track meet. They're not going to be Kansas City with that – they're going to be on the road. It's not It's not going to happen. I know Aaron Rodgers is great, but coming off an injury like that to take down, you know, a guy like Patrick Mahomes that doesn't miss AFC championship games, it's a very big ask when he's healthy and playing all season, let alone, you know, just jumping into a playoff game. So, Well, and speaking of health, too, you're seeing now Joe Burrow is healthy and the Bengals are starting to get steam and actually look. And they do this weird thing where they don't play anybody in the preseason. And sometimes when teams start out super slow – Maybe you overrested guys. I don't know what the solution is. I mean, these coaches know more than me. I think we, I, but you know, Mike, I think we're in the, I think we're in an, an area of sports where, and we're seeing in the NBA as well. It, guys are just taking more days off. You, you have to reserve these guys. They're expending so much energy. Their bodies are built differently. They've got 18 people looking at them, watching what they eat, what they drink, what they, everything. There's so much analysis on what their body is doing but I just think you're going to see this more and more and more where it's very average football and average performances early on in the season. Once you get to that like eight and two mark and you know that you can kind of coast and you can go 500 the rest of the season, you're going to get in the playoffs. You're good to go. The idea, and we're not talking about NBA on this show, but the idea that's been tossed out there about that in-season tournament, which nobody knows really what it does. The fact that they're saying that possibly they would consider guaranteeing somebody a playoff spot if they were able to win that in-season tournament game. That would entice a team like the Lakers to go all out, win the in-season tournament, and LeBron would play probably play 20 games. Well, LeBron likes to play, but Anthony Davis would definitely play like five games all season, and he would just come back in the playoffs. Because at a certain point, championship once you're in the playoffs, it's just now I've got to be good for a month and a half as opposed to five months. Yeah, and, and I wouldn't like that type of scenario. You cannot – and you're and you're right. You're talking about a general trend. You're just seeing in a lot of the sports is devaluation of the regular season. I'm okay with truncated or non-existent preseason. Never cared that much for it. You're right. The hyper-conditioned, completely monitored modern athlete doesn't have a second job like the guys in the 1950s and 60s did, where they needed to do all this hard work and two a days and all that type of stuff. And now you just don't want to see it because like, like, look, you want to go attend one of the two games that the Lakers come to town in Houston. Oh, if LeBron's not playing, Anthony Davis not playing, you drop that kind of money for the ticket. You're, you're a little bit disappointed. You saw the Rockets crush them last night without Anthony Davis. It's like, 
you still got to give the fans something in the regular season. Hundred percent, and in in the NFL, it would be even more magnified because you'd only have one shot to see that guy. You know, so you only have one shot to see, and and you're seeing. I mean, they just listed some of the quarterbacks that are going to be starting this week. I mean, my goodness. I mean, it's it's a who's who. Like, I mean, there's some guys that. I mean, I don't even. I don't think I've ever even heard of the guy that's starting for the Raiders right now. I'm going to give you one for the Giants, Tommy DeVito. Yeah. The first four-star recruit at quarterback for Syracuse, and he was a total bust. He ended up doing better and transferring over to Illinois, but he was one of those like Bergen Catholic heroes or one of those schools over in Jersey. Tommy DeVito started for the Giants as 16-and-a-half-point underdogs to the Cowboys. Josh Dobbs just showing up off the plane and like, you know, taking the staffs on the sideline and going right in and then winning a game. I mean, it's just, it's madness. It's, 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 there's we are so lacking quality top-notch quarterbacks that you have to like hold on to the ones that are there and, and just hope that they can keep going. Well, Josh Dobbs is at least like a 4.0 guy and like and he was a high school engineering or something like that. He's at least a highly intelligent guy that could probably oh, play book and, and Tommy learn DeVito? Really fast. Like seriously, he's one Tommy of those, DeVito, like, the, the pride of Syracuse. No. No, t- I don't I don't know that much about Tommy DeVito. He could be that way. I don't know. But the fact that he is starting an NFL game already as an undrafted bust up in Syracuse, New York, that this is this is mind boggling. I'm a Hall of Famer, so they might be calling me soon. Even at 42, they might ask me to throw a couple couple out routes. <laughs> We're going to come back. Yeah, I mean, XFL I might, might need somebody in the spring. There's still help. Let's take our first break. We'll come back. We're going to talk about one more quarterback when we come back on the Sports Cube. And we're back. We're back here on the Sports Cube as we are staying hydrated. Weather's nice right now. It's like a fall. Well, you're in Texas. I forgot. You guys don't have. We, we just get rain. I mean, it was like 86. Yeah. Now we got rain coming in. It's supposed to rain all weekend. My daughter's soccer matches are going to get rained out. We're just going to be stuck indoors with the kids. It's it's going to be a little bit miserable. I wish I was up in your neck of the woods. Yeah, it's nice. It's it's You're getting the fall season. You're starting to see the leaves change. It's that nice kind of cool, like 55 degrees. Really, really nice on the East Coast right now. But don't forget to hit that subscribe, hit that follow. Check us out wherever you are on SportsQ. And I've got something exciting coming up in the third segment. So wait for that as we're going to be taking Texas Mike back to the EPL, but in a very interesting way. Uh we, we talked about tears a little bit early on, and there was much ado made about uh, a young Caleb Williams. Uh, USC fires their defensive coordinator. I'm not sure why USC fans are a little surprised that Lincoln Riley has not had stout defenses. This is not uh, anything new. Uh, he is, it's not, he's not known for defense. He will, he will score 50 on you, but he might give up 60, depending on who he's got there. Caleb Williams was not going to be the end all answer to all the issues that were happening on the West coast and where the quality players were. Uh, You're seeing all the quality players. They're all going to the sec schools. And this is going to be a trend that we continue to see is now all these conferences are merging. Uh, USC fell off the map though. And it, it happened really fast. And now you've got a projected number one pick who still is the, uh, and I'll let you touch on it. Is, is he the runaway guy still? Um, is somehow Penix, you know, closing the gap. I know he's he's surpassed him on the Heisman chase, uh, but maybe not in the draft scenario. And, you know, the SEC schools, this has been the quietest SEC season, I think, uh, from a national cover standpoint. Maybe it's a little bit of Dion. Maybe it's a little bit of the Harbaugh situation. 
there's been plenty to talk about in college football, um, but they haven't been the top storyline. Uh, Caleb Williams, though, your first thoughts, is he playing himself out of the number one pick? Was it a mistake for him to come back? Uh, you know, he you don't have C.J. Stroud, maybe, if Caleb Williams uh, goes to the draft. So uh, what say you, Texas Mike? I don't think Caleb Williams has played himself out of the number one pick yet. They're showing on film so far, I mean, USC and him, some alarming trends. He He's very loose with the ball. He fumbles a lot. He what makes him good at extending plays, some of his kind of riverboat gambler mentality. He does make turnover-worthy plays probably at a higher frequency than you want, but he still makes a ton of big-time throws. He's still that leader. If anything, you've seen his leadership probably progress on a very mediocre USC team that he's the guy. He doesn't have the receivers. We talked about that on the last podcast that, the supporting cast that he's typically dealt with in the past is not there, but, and Drake may continues to be Drake may highly touted big time throws. I mean, that North Carolina loss, I think it was to, I think it was to Miami or whoever it was, where just kind of knocked him off the rails. That has hurt as well. One of those two guys is going number one, I would say 75% chance. That's going to be Caleb Williams, unless he really just falters this season down the stretch, you're going to have a same scenario for 2024 draft, a number one quarterback and a number quarterback and number two. Yeah. And the teams are going to be interesting who ends up actually being in that spot because you're, you're seeing Chicago projected to, to be in that spot, which is, and if they go quarterback strange, I mean, I think that they're just, we're, you're in a very weird realm there, but Caleb Williams is going to be the most scrutinized, I think, number one pick that we've seen in, in a while. I think coming off the heels of a Kyler Murray type situation where it didn't work out, didn't pan out, not sure what Bryce Young is going to end up being um, and seeing a CJ Stroud was more successful, a little bit bigger guy, a guy with a bigger arm, guy that maybe was set for the NFL game. And I'll tell you what, Will Levis slid uh, down the draft board because of the debut he made now he regressed in his second start because he actually had to sit down think about film we've seen this a million times so you know you don't go crazy over a, a guy in a in a backup situation just thrust into action they haven't game plan for that guy he's not thinking he's just playing when you have a whole week to think about it it's, it's a different beast but that will levis performance is going to help drake may because it's going to say okay we don't want to miss on a guy like that, that can go right in and he's going to be ready day one. You just don't know with quarterbacks. So I think the emotions and the showing of the emotions, it's a little aggressive. I, I, I mean, it's, it's not, I know he wants to win. I mean, I know you're passionate about winning, uh, but it, it, it was a strange look, the jumping up in the stands and the, you know, the, the helmet and the shoulder. I don't, I don't know. I, it's, uh, I'm torn. It's one of those where, yeah, because it's, it's, it's be a matter of preference. And, and I don't want to cut you off, but he has to command men in the NFL. Like he has to go into that now and deal with 30-year-olds that got kids and XY. You know, like there's a, all kinds of stuff that <laughs> they don't want you running into the stands. They're gonna lose ultimate respect for you if you jump in the stands and you're in tears with your mom. You know, not that it's a bad thing, but I don't know. It's gonna have he's gonna have to, for lack of a better term, curb his enthusiasm. <laughs> I mean, he, I mean, it's just, it's just, uh, it's just, I, 
he's going to be the number one pick. I think that he's just got too much hype. There's too much excitement around him. Did the NIL deals hurt this situation though, because it influenced him to stay in school because he didn't have to think about the money thing. And maybe he wasn't thinking about it anyway, but it gave him that incentive to be like, I'm not losing anything. If I come back, let me go and win a national championship and dominate. He's still dominating. He's still putting up numbers, but now it's the other stuff. You know, it's the other things that you're watching going on in the peripheral that will play into the decision-making for teams making their draft pick. And if it's Chicago, <laughs> not the most forgiving fan base immediately. And also hor or horrible quarterback drafting history. Probably the worst in the history of the NFL. You go high for the Bears, it's not going to work out. It's going to work out better if you if you're a guy they pick up later in the draft. And how can he be better than, than Justin Fields? How can you say he's better than Justin Fields at that point? I don't know how you could say that. They need Sid Luckman to come back. <laughs> Chris Berman. Chris Berman with the Sid Luckman throwing him out at random times. Him and Al Michaels always bring it. Al Michaels, I love how it's a story every year that Al Michaels is returning. It's like, man, come on, man. The guy's making a ton of money. He gets to travel around. He's Al freaking Michaels. He doesn't eat vegetables and he's making $15 million to just sit around and talk football with people that he already knows. And he's not, it's not going to get fired. No, 0% chance. <laughs> so, so it's like, of course he's coming back. <laughs> this affects probably like five people that want that gig that are like in the running to get it. And he's like, no, nope, I think I'm going to stick around. Okay. He walks on water. Yeah. Do you believe in miracles? Well, guess what? This one's not happening. Al Michaels gets to choose when he leaves the booth. Uh, but you talk about some of these players now. What are the storylines for you? I mean, what are you taking from the college football season as we haven't even gotten into the playoffs? We're starting to see now the top four and starting to see that settle in. What are the top three or four storylines? And we'll cover more as we get closer uh, right here on the Sports Queue. Hit that subscribe and follow. But what do you think is going to be the next thing that we see? Is it going to be all Harbaugh and Michigan talk or are we going to see more things emerge? What are we, what are we going to see here in, towards the tail end of this season? In no particular order, I'm going to give you a few themes that have kind of popped into my head. One of them is University of Georgia slash SEC fatigue. Georgia going through this three-peat. They're a little bit unspectacular. They're winning games, sometimes unceremoniously, sometimes looking like a juggernaut. They're just rolling right along. You have Alabama. They lose that early game to Texas. It's a little bit of a kick in the butt that they haven't had in a while as they break in a new quarterback, a Jalen Milrow, who he just kind of looks like, like a young Lamar Jackson. So you got this clash of the Titans. Here we go again. It's going to be the SEC West Alabama champions taking on University of Georgia Bulldogs as they go for a three-peat. Eh, people are yawning. You should be interested, but they're not. Theme number two, you brought it up. You got University of Michigan, who is tasting this pathetic schedule that they've had in front of them and completely lambasting everybody that they play while the scandal's running in the background. Their coach is controversial. Will he got, get suspended or not? They got McCarthy as their quarterback, who's arguably having you know a Heisman Trophy-winning season, but... He's not going to get any of their respect. And they're heading to this clash of the Titans on 
who all the experts say right now is the best team in the sport, despite the fact that they probably have the worst quarterback they've had in a decade with McCord. You got Ohio State, and they're heading for this collision course where depending on what happens this weekend with Penn State versus Michigan, you're probably looking at a Thanksgiving game. You got Ohio State, Michigan, and then you're going to turn around and run it back. And you're going to have some weird scenario come there. And then the, the third the third theme that I think is important here, and not to dog the ACC, but the ACC just, okay, Florida State keeps running along. That's great. Um, that's going to turn out to be an easier victory lap than anybody thought. You can basically pencil them in, in my opinion, to the Final Four. But will the Pack and its swan song, they've had the best game of the year. Oregon versus Washington was a total shootout. Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr. throwing daggers left and right, going at each other like two gladiators. That's basically the Heisman Trophy situation right now. It's like, well, Penix Jr. made the big throw to win the game against Oregon, and Bo Nix was not able to do that. So will one of those teams be able to get in more likely Washington, but even Oregon, if they're able to take it with one loss? And that's kind of outside the Heisman stuff. What I see is the biggest themes. It, it's a little bit, um, you don't have any real good feel good stories. You don't have any, it's just, it's kind of juggernauts going at each other. And it'll really be quite the difference because next season, you're not going to, you're going to have a ton of content. You're going to have, uh, you're going to have teams now going into different conferences. I think the SEC does get kind of spruced up now when you get the addition of some of these other teams, because now you can say, oh, okay, this is an interesting, how are they going to match up in, in the new look conferences? And Arch Manning is, is on the horizon. I mean, he is going to be, he, he will be more talked about. He's the only player that will be more talked about than Deion Sanders, the way that we're seeing them talk about. And, and Deion is, is regressed because they're not, they're not, and we knew this, they're, they're just not as good yet as some of those squads. Well, let, let me give you this. Malik Murphy right now is the starting quarterback for University of Texas with Ewers being out, not Arch Manning. Do you find that a little bit alarming? Yeah. I. But but isn't it that, that they, they, they don't want – God, I don't know. I, I, I mean, because, yeah, you're right. Why redshirt him? I mean, why, 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 why try to, like, hold and save this redshirt year unless you think – Guys are going somewhere. I don't know. I, I mean, we. It's a very Alabama way to do it, though, isn't it? To kind of still keep that guy a little bit buried. You don't. You don't thrust him in that position. You, you know. You kind of. You kind of wait and then you go. But I. Yeah. I don't know. I agree, man. I mean, chomping at the bit like that. Not giving him the reins and just saying, "Okay, let's try to make a splash." I don't, I don't know. To me, it's a little strange. You're right. There's a little bit of Alabama pay your dues, but okay, you're Arch Manning. Like whatever his NIL is, we all know his family background. This isn't, I need to play college football or pro football or anything. I'm set for life. The second I was born, I'm a Manning. And you would think the upside of showcasing him, if he is ready as a player to take the reins, especially, I mean, Texas, hey, maybe they're a dark horse. They somehow get back in the mix. They do have a... Great win over Alabama, but at the end of the day, it's going to be one of those situations where that to me is a little bit alarming. You don't you don't see this. I mean, you saw LSU do it a few years ago with uh, 
with Garrett Nussmeyer, where they didn't play him in a bowl game not to burn his red shirt because they knew that down the line they would need it. And now when Jalen Daniels leaves, that gives them that extra year of eligibility. They literally played Kansas State in a bowl game, starting a fifth-year wide receiver, Jontae Kirkland, who had not played quarterback since 3A high school in Louisiana. So you see some bizarre stuff is my whole point of that. But yeah. I don't think you would see that with Arch Manning. Yeah, yeah, because they would they would be able to notice. I, they would know right away if the dude's if, if he's a guy. Like I, it, it would be very obvious and very pronounced uh, that this dude is a dude. So yeah, I I don't know. It, it, we'll we'll see. It will be a brewing start because if he's not starting next year, or if he's not really playing a prominent role, uh, there's something wrong. He's just not the guy. And then we'll find him at a smaller school where he'll throw a zillion for a zillion yards, but it's not going to be at that level. Let me give you an example. And a guy we've talked about on the show, JT Daniels. Yeah. You know, Aaron it out at Rice. I mean, he's played at three major colleges. He was super hyped and started his career out excellently at USC until injuries took over. And he was a can't miss Southern California prep prospect. I mean, he was the best quarterback to come out of there in some time. I think he's gone through like three facial hair changes too during his college his college career. We're going to come back here. We got one more segment. We're going to talk EPL when we come back here on the Sports Cube. Two, one. Back here on the Sports Cube as we get to, to wrap things up. This is going to be on social media. This is also going to be uh, something that Mike, Texas Mike, was not prepared for, but we're going to see how we roll with this. We're going to see how this segment goes. Mike, I've got five questions for you. They are about general questions about the EPL and and just kind of uh current players let's go current players current clubs uh current squads okay so here we go you have one coach that you think that you could play for and we'd be successful playing for in the apl if you were if you were on the pitch you you are a player who is the one coach right now in epl that you would want to be playing for and thinks that you could he could he could get the most out of you I mean, I'm going to have to go with Mikel Arteta. That's a little bit of a homer pick being an Arsenal guy because he can put together a young squad and he can get results and a young active squad that runs around. And if I, that would be my style, I'm not a Pep Guardiola guy where I can do tiki-taka and have all these different skills. Don't, don't have that type of versatility to my game. So I'm more of like a run and gun, like the true gunners, Arsenal. Question number two, which player in the EPL has been playing for the wrong club for almost their entire career, or you feel like if they were on a different team, different club, they would have had much, much more success. Ooh, that is a brutally difficult question. Um, I can give you a player that is no longer in the EPL, and this was very controversial, Harry Kane. He was on Tottenham for far too long. If he would have probably changed a few years before and maybe went over to Liverpool or went over even maybe to Arsenal, that could have changed his trajectory. A phenomenal player for the English national team, putting goals in the bag repeatedly for Bayern Munich. But that was a guy that was on the wrong squad too long, Tottenham Hotspur. Question number three. Which road game, when you go to a different uh, city or pitch, different different uh, region, sounds like it would just be an absolute brutal, harsh road trip, and it would just be a disaster if you were a player 
uh, on that squad? Like which 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 one do you think, based off what you've heard, things that you've seen, what would be the most brutal road game out there? I don't think I would want to go up to Newcastle United, like the northeast of England. It's just kind of drudgery, North Sea, horrible weather, more like what you have in Norway. It's a little more rural. It's just rainy and dark and looks like hell. And it's not the type of place you want to go to. You know, that those uniforms that are like black and white. You feel like, you know, you're, you're watching a bunch of prisoners run around. It's definitely not St. James's Park is the name of the venue. Not the place I'd want to step foot in as an opposing player, especially Arsenal when you got that beautiful place in the Emirates in London. Question four. You've got a free corner. You've got three players that you can choose for this free corner. So I've got somebody, we've got somebody obviously taking the corner. And then we've got the two players that we think are going to put it in the back of the net. Three players from the EPL and place them where you would place them. Give me three. Okay. A good corner taker, in my opinion, is James Madison for Tottenham Hotspur. He's really, he takes all the corners on both sides. So that's what I want to be taking the corner to put it on. And I'm not going historical, right? We would say David Beckham. So who I would want on the receiving end, you got to go Erling Holland for sure. And Ooh, the, uh, the next person on that, that that's going to be, I mean, that's going to be difficult. You know, you're not going to want, you're not going to want like Mo Salah, maybe a, Oh man, I don't even know. Uh, Mo Salah, you wouldn't want him. He's not going to go up and get headers. It's kind of difficult. Um, shoot, this one has really stumped me. He's all the other guys. I don't really think of just some intimidating beast in the air. Uh, yeah, the next guy to to kind of head it in and, and put the pressure. Ugh, I don't know, man. It's um. It's not looking good. Um, you know, I guess we're just going to have to say um, Virgil van Dyke. He can be pretty intimidating as a center back that comes up on, on headers to give it something different. And I'm looking at it from that way, right? You want a good corner and you want a guy that's going to head it in, not two strikers. So that was my strategy there. What a confident answer there. <laughs> Basically, you want Erling to hit the shot. <laughs> yeah, if you got a good corner taker, of course you do, because he's the logical, who's going to be able to compete with him in the air? No one. Question number five, fifth and final. You have a penalty shootout. You're going to pick five of your players, like an all-star cast of penalty takers, and they're going to be taking these penalty shots against the most sus goalie, in EPL <laughs> that you don't think is going to be able to contend uh, with these five penalty shootout takers. Who do we got? And tell me the goalie last. So who are my five? What order are they in? And then who is going to be going 0 for 5 in saves against these guys? Okay, without the goalie going first, I would want as my PTA takers, Bruno Fernandez for Man United. I think he he's pretty slick and he's not going to screw it up. I'm going to want Erling Holland, of course. I just I think he's got some serious PK game to his game. I'm going to want Mo Salah as well 
because yeah, he bags them for Liverpool. They're rarely saved. Then I would say bring in an Arsenal guy, Bukayo Saka. Uh, he had one saved the other day, but he's still pretty pretty cheeky with some of his left-footed stuff. And for the final one, I, I guess we're probably banned from having somebody in the same team, right? Because you're not going to have. Oh, you pick five. You pick five. You're not going to have two from. Okay, well, if he was healthy, I would want Kevin De Bruyne because he's the man, dude. He's my favorite player in the EPL. I think we've seen the best of him already, but if I'm going to get two from the same team, I'm going to bring him in. I'm making the assumption that he is healthy and can actually do it. And now (laughs) here is the home run question. The most sus goalie that is just going to have absolutely zippo chance of stopping any one of these shots. Now, obviously, you pick five very premier players, but who is going to be the goalie that you definitely would be like, oh, yeah, we're, we're, we're going after this guy? Arsenal's goalkeeper, David Raya, not having a great season right now. They're sliding back to the pack. I don't actually know his, his goalkeeper save stats. There are certain guys that are just better at saving penalties. They get a better read. They're taller. They get that nice leap off the line. But I don't think he's got a chance against those dudes. Love it. There you go. We're going to have all of that on social media. We're going to play that for you. Do you guys agree? Who do you think you would have in some of those positions? Texas Mike, always a pleasure, my man. Wonderfully done. Look at us. What is the final thought, though, as we get out of here? Because we talked plenty about everything. We're going to talk about some college football. We're going to talk about NBA as we get closer to some of the games that are really mattering, maybe some in-season tournament stuff. Uh, We'll talk about the NFL as we start to get in the playoffs. But give me something on the way out the door. Since we're on football, we got to give a shout out to the Houston Dynamo, who this Saturday take on Real Real Salt Lake in the final playoff game of the first round. If they win, they advance. Unbelievable. Dolly Dynamo. I think you're on the Dynamo payroll at this point. I think you just keep plugging the Dynamo. Look at this guy. Texas Mike CG. Congratulations, Texas Rangers. We'll see you guys next time here on the Sports Key. No, that's pretty.